Good evening. It's good to be back together to study this marvelous book, the book of Revelation. This is a tour through the book of Revelation. We've called it Part 9, The Things Which Are Future. And in order to make the most of our time tonight, let's turn in our Bibles to the book of Revelation. And just a quick comment, if you've been here, you know this, but uh, we've called it a tour in the title. And the reason why we've done that uh, is because as with a tour in any other place, if you go on a tour of a city or a tour of a country, uh, you may take in some of the main attractions. You may certainly stop in uh, some of the smaller places from time to time, uh, but it is not an exhaustive look at a particular city or a particular country. It is certainly a tour of the attractions. And that's really what I wanted to do with this book. My desire on a Sunday night was to acquaint you with this book, to make uh, this book a lot less intimidating than perhaps you felt that it is. To acquaint you with the phrasing and some of the terminologies, how it fits together uh, in a timeline with the rest of the passages of Scripture that deal with prophecy. And so that's what we've done, and if we haven't gone as, into as much detail as you'd like us to do uh, on some certain area, certainly submit a question to me if you would. I'd be glad to address that uh, corporately, uh, and if you've got a question, there are probably some other ones as well. So I'll do my best to do that, and also to make sure that we take in the things we need to take in. It's always in a preacher's heart that uh, he spends time on the things the Lord would have him spend time on, and so it's, I uh, know that before I come up here each night that I'm actually asking the Lord for that specific thing, that we might focus on the majors and minor on the minors, and so that's our desire. Now let me just say that as we start this study tonight, as I've said before, no book in Scripture reveals the glory of God and Christ in any more splendor than this book does, and yet no book has been more misunderstood, misinterpreted, neglected than this book is. In chapter 22, verse 10, it says, in verse 10, he said, he said to me, this is Christ talking to John, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. If there's one thing that God wants in regard to this book, it is that we know what it teaches. So he says, seal it not. And the book begins with a blessing. In chapter 1, verse 3, it says, blessed is he that reads this book. And it ends with a blessing in 22.7, blessed is he that keeps the words of this prophecy. It's the only book in the Bible that begins and ends with a promise of blessing just to the one who reads it. And so we're told to understand it because the time is at hand. And that basically means that, you know, in chapter 22, verse 10, uh, that what is said here is the next event on God's messianic timetable. Now, the key to the book is found in chapter 1, verse 1. Chapter 1, verse 1 says, The revelation of Jesus Christ. And this is where we get our English word for apocalypse. It just simply means uh, the unveiling, the revealing, the uncovering, the truth about Jesus Christ, making him clear. And so if uh, in some way some uh, church perhaps would say that this is very unclear, it's unsure what they say, unsure who it's referring to, unsure what time it refers to, I would say the opposite. I would say that this book makes clear Jesus Christ, the truth about Jesus Christ, and really puts to rest much of the doctrine of men and puts it where it needs to be, and reveals Jesus in, his, in all of his splendor and in his uh, majesty. And as he takes back the possession of the earth, it shows us all that these things, uh, how all these things will unfold. Until not, uh, you know, the idea is then if he's making Jesus Christ clear, until now not known. So we're going to learn things about Jesus Christ that would not be known if it were not for this book. Now let's continue at verse chapter one, verse one which he gave him to show his servants, which must soon take place. In other words, this is a glimpse of the future. 
we get to drop in on God's unveiling of the things that he has prepared for Christ in the future. Uh, the Gospels and and humility and revelation and power. So we see Christ in the past coming in a manger, being crucified, uh, murdered on a cruel cross, and paying the debt of sin for men. And of course, the revelation shows Christ coming in power in the near future. As we read on, he made it known by sending his angel to his servant John. God wanted to reveal Jesus Christ in his full glory, and that is a future reality, by the way, Christ in his full glory. So he sent the message about this through an angel to John. Now look at verse 2. Who testified to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. So John wrote it down. He bore witness of all the things that he saw. So in verse 1, God sets out to reveal. Verse 2, John takes responsibility to write that down. Verse 3, it says, Blessed is the one who reads, the one who hears, and the one who keeps or takes to heart the things that are written in it. And then this important statement again, for the time is at hand. Now, this is not so much related to time itself, although it is, but more related to a sequence of events. In other words, this is the next step on God's calendar of events, uh, although the time, as we look at the Near East and, and we look at all that's going on around us, we recognize that the time in actual time is near too. Uh, to quote John Walbert, the great uh, writer, commentator on Revelation and Prophecy, says, people don't look at prophecy as surely as they look at history, but remember, God's history as it relates to Christ was once prophecy. You can be just as sure of what is to come as you are of what has already occurred, end quote. So I think that that's a great way to look at it and to have that mindset. And last time we were together, we finished a very exciting walk through the first scene in heaven, a scene which acquainted us with the important figures present in the court of the throne of God. And we talked about the preparations for all that pageantry, which will usher in the final week of years for time and for earth, as we presently know them. And we concluded that first scene where everyone's in place with the theme of heaven. And what is that theme? Do you remember, beloved? It's worship. And now we saw a scroll, Revelation 5.1, we saw that Christ is the only one who's allowed to open the scroll. He is the approved one. And so he did just that. So as we begin in chapter 6 with the Lord beginning to unroll the scroll, we begin the great and terrible day of the Lord, the tribulation period. And we have seven seals on the scroll, and each of those, as is broken open, reveals another thing that's going to happen on the earth. Now, the first seal is peace. Look at Revelation 6.1. Then I saw the Lamb broke one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures saying, as with the voice of thunder, Come. Verse 2, I looked, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he went out conquering and to conquer. So he's a conqueror. The false Christ is who we're speaking of here. He it is a peaceful conquering. The tribulation period on earth begins then with false peace. The Antichrist is the instrument of this false peace. Everything really begins to focus on Israel. He brings what looks like peace, but it doesn't last long. And then the second seal is broken, opened in uh, verse 3. It says, When he broke the second seal, I heard the second living creature saying, Come, and another, a red horse, went out. And to him who sat on it, it was granted to take peace from the earth, and that men would slay one another, and a great sword was given to him. So the second seal is war. And I'm sure that you can imagine, as I can, what kind of war that will be. And, uh, of course, why there might be a war is, is uh, probably some question, but uh, there is going to obviously be a power struggle. There's going to be some shock at the, at the conclusion of, of the rapture, no doubt the earth thrown into turmoil. They'll be looking for the right person to bring everything together. 
you know, uh, currencies are and, and uh, economies are bankrupt, and so all these things can be reorganized and uh, under one person who brings peace or a false sense of peace. But as soon as that false sense of peace is over, of course, there's going to be some uh, some grabbing of land and some and some kingship set up and all of these things, and people will begin to resist. And so there's going to be some war. And so, uh, you know, John 10, 10 just tells us a thief has come to steal, kill, and destroy. So even by definition, uh, the false Christ, who we will see is empowered by Satan, uh, has as an agenda the steal, kill, and destroy. That's not changed throughout the course of history, and so it continues here. That leads us to the third seal. Verse 5, when he broke the third seal, I heard the third living creature saying, Come, and I looked, and behold, a black horse, and he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard something like a voice in the center of the four creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not damage or don't touch the oil and the wine. And we saw the third seal is famine. Food is at eight times its normal price, or the wage of that day will, be, will, will buy only one-eighth of what it used to buy. Either way, the bare staples, oil and wine, will become extras. That's bonuses that need to be carefully protected. So what you have is peace followed by war, followed by famine. Wherever there's worldwide war, there's always worldwide famine. And then the fourth seal comes along, and it's death. Now, what follows war and famine, of course, but death. Verse 7. When the Lamb broke the fourth seal, I heard the four, uh, voice of the fourth living creature saying, Come. Verse 8, I looked, and behold, an ashen horse. That's a pale horse. In Greek, it's a sickly yellow-green color. So he who sat on it had the name Death, and Hades was following with him. Why? Well, he goes along killing, and Hades comes along scooping up all the dead. Verse 8, authority was given to them for a fourth of the earth to kill with a sword and with famine and with pestilence and by the wild beasts of the earth. Uh, these are just overwhelming judgments. Demons are participating, even with the beasts of the earth taking part. Uh, a world that will seem to be totally out of control to those who are here, to those who remain after the rapture. About a fourth of those who are still here within a very short time after the rapture will be killed. And so that's pretty significant, I think, and very sobering to think about what will happen in a very short time after the rapture occurs. We see these things happening one right after another. And that's what you can understand, too, is this final week of years begins, understand that it's going to move right along. And so we have some timestamps here coming up and so we'll see that they follow chronologically, but uh, we'll also understand that there is not a delay and that they move forward. Now, verse 9, when the lamb broke uh, the fifth seal, I saw underneath the altar, who does he see? The souls of those who'd been slain because of the word of God and because of the testimony which, which they had maintained. So we come to this fifth seal and we find some people under the altar. This is the cry of the martyrs. Now, these are no doubt the redeemed people. They have been slain during that time. Uh, their spirit is now in heaven. They are at the very altar of God, the very throne of God, as it were, and they are under their prey. So understand, beloved, as, as a course of quarter of the earth, uh, the population that remains after the rapture uh, is going to be killed. And many of those will have come to faith, many that perhaps you witnessed to the day before or the week before or perhaps had come and attended a service here or, or attended a fall festival or some uh, way, uh, the many thousands of churches around the world who are giving the gospel out and perhaps heard the gospel or uh, began to read the gospel at the, at the close of the rapture time and understood uh, it was truth and came to faith. The Holy Spirit will still be working. We'll still have uh, that, uh, the marvelous change taking place, but now in a very different environment than the one that preceded it. And so these, these folks are under the altar. They've been killed during this time. They're at the very throne of God, as it were, and they're under their praying. And verse 10 says what they say. Look there, and they cried out with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, 
will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Because in this war and in this carnage and in this famine and in this turmoil on earth, redeemed people are slaughtered by the Antichrist. And when their spirits come to heaven, they gather together and they cry together. And they say, how long, God, are you going to let this go on without bringing vengeance on those who are slaughtering the saints? And that's a very important section, and you should underline that in your Bible. Uh, that section is a premise on which much future discussion in Revelation is based. How long? Well, verse 11 says, And there was given to each of them a white robe, and they were told that they should rest for a little while longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brethren, who were to be killed even as they had been, would be completed also. So what he says to them is this, you know, you just be patient. In the meantime, here's a white robe, your heavenly garment. Enjoy it. Hang in there until the rest of the martyrs are done being martyred. This thing really indicates that an important point for us, salvation during the tribulation is taught in Scripture. Otherwise, this passage wouldn't make any sense. However, when you come to faith, you're likely going to pay for it with your life. Only about a quarter of those alive after the rapture occurs will make it to the glorious appearing of Christ. So, God is done wooing his creation, and he is going to bring about salvation. He's going to bring about judgment, and all those things are going to go on in a very violent and very uh, unsettled environment of the earth. Now look at verse 12 of Revelation 6. I looked then, I looked when he broke the sixth seal, and there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth made of hair, and the whole moon became like blood. So this sixth seal is, the, is a universe in turmoil. So early on, after the, after the rapture of the church, and the beginning of this time of, of the Antichrist, and this time of tribulation, this time of judgment on the earth, you see a universe in turmoil. Joel 2, verse 30 says, uh, I will display wonders in the sky and on the earth, blood, fire, columns of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon into blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord. Isaiah 34, 4 speaks of it as well. The sky will wither away. And so we see many cross-references here that tell us uh, of the same time period. Now look at verse 13. And the stars of the sky fell to earth. Now imagine that. The sun goes black, the moon goes to blood, and stars fall out of the sky. Then it comments on that. It says, a fig tree casts its unripe figs when shaken by a great wind. Now, uh, you know, you understand this. If you have fruit trees, you understand uh, late in the season, fruit is ripe, and then you uh, have a heavy thunderstorm or whatever, and the fruit, uh, when you come out in the morning, is all over the ground. We understand how that works, and that is how... Uh, perhaps the stars will fall out of the sky all over the ground. So the stars will all fall out of heaven. Uh, and, and uh, of course, it doesn't say all the stars fall. It just says some, just like if uh, a fruit tree is laden with fruit and a storm comes, not all of them fall, but some of them do. Now we're going to verse 14. The sky was split apart, so the sky receded. Uh, your version might say receded, uh, but uh, the word is the word for split apart or split in half, one part going one way and one part going another. Like a scroll when it's rolled up. And if you think about those old-fashioned window blinds, which roll up uh, rather quickly and make that you know, really weird sound, clack, 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 you know, when they go up, um, that's what's going to happen in, in the whole of heaven. Of course, I don't think that is going to be the sound, but there's going to be some type of, of uh, observation in heaven where the sky seems to roll back. It's all going to be gone. Just... Uh, a lot of the stuff that we are familiar with will not be able to be seen anymore. And remember, uh, many times in Scripture, as it mentions the heavens, uh, it's given us an understanding of the power of God, the, mighty, the mightiness of God, the, lovely, the loveliness, the beauty of God. Heavens declare His handiwork, and so we're going to see the heavens declare the glory of God and, and the earth uh, His handiwork. And so we understand that 
uh, during this time period, there's going to be a big change there. Now look at verse 14. The sky was split apart. It's receded like a scroll when it's rolled up, and every mountain and island was moved out of its place. Now can you imagine that? Think of some of the places you've seen and some of the places perhaps you've been. Imagine what will happen or where we live now and what a worldwide catastrophic earthquake would do to the coastlines and the peninsulas. And so some severe, unparalleled destruction on the earth. Is it any wonder that God's not interested in his people amassing things to themselves? Now remember, um, people say, well, a worldwide earthquake, I mean, it's not really possible, it's not likely. In fact, a recent study on the probability of a worldwide earthquake, and that was uh, before the Sumatra earthquake of December 2004, uh, said that there was very little chance. But uh, now, uh, the uh, scientists are, are talking much differently with all the major earthquakes that we've had uh, recently. And so, uh, scary times, and they, and they get really afraid. And then, in verses 15 through 17, you have a tremendous fear here. Now look at Revelation 6, 15. Then the kings of the earth, and the great men, and commanders, and the rich, and the strong, and every slave and free man hid themselves in caves and among the rocks of the mountains. And they said to the mountains and to the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. And from the great day of their wrath has come, here it comes, and who is able to stand? Here's the thing. The people know the reason for these occurrences. A worldwide earthquake, that's never happened before. Sun turns black, that's only happened one time before. That's at the crucifixion. The moon turns to blood, that's never happened before. The stars fall from the sky, that's never happened before. Every mountain island is moved from its place, that's never happened before. So it's worldwide catastrophe. Everybody is affected. And I often chuckle when I read this, even though it, uh, when I'm not thinking about, of course, the, the great tragedy of human life. But when I think about the, those who, who uh, love the earth and uh, call it Mother Earth and think it's eternal and, and want to save it and make sure you throw your, your aluminum soda can in, in the recycling bin and, and whatever you do, you know, don't, uh, don't cut down a tree or, or you know, go out and harvest a, uh, an animal for food because, you know, that's just not what's done, you know, and, and they get mad if, if you flush a toilet or something, you know. The bottom line is the Lord's going to wreck the earth, you know. All these tree huggers and all these uh, Greenpeace people, they're really going to be ticked because the Lord's going to wreck the earth. Worldwide catastrophe. And it says that they're hiding their faces. Why? Well, you know, unrighteous people cannot stand in God's presence. You know, Psalm 1, 1 through 6 says the, the wicked can't stand in his presence and they, they won't make an excuse. They won't justify their actions. You know, they won't be able to, to say, you know, the church was full of hypocrites. I didn't have time to make my decision. You don't understand what I've been through. Just who, who can stand is rhetorical. And the answer is obvious. And who is it? Well, no one. The people know the reason for these occurrences. What's the first question that's always asked of religious leaders after a tragedy? You know, is God, is God mad at us, right? I mean... You know, if you, if you think about a number of the things that have, have occurred over the course of time uh, and, and why people, uh, how people react when something terrible happens, it's always, why is God mad at us? Why is God doing this? Those kinds of things are always the, are always the uh, response. It'll be no different here. People who remain will know what's going on and who's doing it. Tribulation time, it's a worldwide catastrophe. Everybody's affected. They won't be able to make excuses. Who can stand is rhetorical. The answer is obvious, no one. Now, I think you can only take so much of this, and then you're going to have a breakdown. And poor John, you can imagine uh, having all these visions. And I think the Lord gives him periodic breaks, 
And chapter 7 seems to be one of those breaks. And we find in chapter 7, in the center of this entire calamity, some protection going on. There's going to be some blessing. There's going to be some people spared from judgment. Everybody's not going to be under the altar. Some believers are going to be spared. Uh, even in the book of Joel, we see a hint of that some will be spared. And we'll close with this tonight. Uh, Joel chapter 2, verse 30 says, And I will display wonders in the sky and on the earth, blood, fire, columns of smoke. We read that already. The sun will be turned to darkness, this moon to blood, before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And it will come about that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be delivered. For on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there will, be those, there will be those who escape, as the Lord has said, even among the survivors whom the Lord calls. Now more on that when we get to our study next time. Let's close in prayer. Lord, we thank you today for an opportunity again to be in your word. Uh, we're very grateful for how clear it is. We're, we're grateful for its instruction. Lord, too, for its motivation to uh, be about the work you've given us. We thank you, too, for uh, an understanding that you can give us by your Holy Spirit. And we ask that continually as we go through this book, that we might have the blessings that come from it. And we thank you for our time together, for the fellowship of the saints, and for the blessings that that is to each of our hearts. And we give you praise today in Jesus' name. Amen.